Good. Let's start with our normal behind the scenes. How do you think it's been going? What have we done so far? I think it's been. Uh, I think it's been going good. Alhamdulillah. Uh, and I think what's what's key is is what you mentioned: rhythm, so consistency. So not just about actually creating, but you know, managing the the time and the regularity and the discipline to keep at it no matter what. So that's something which I'm beginning to understand more. Um, also, just getting used to the whole uh, tech side of things. So as we're now developing through um, the weeks and the hours, I think content or ideas for discussion are coming more naturally to us. We can, you know, I think we're thinking of ideas. Uh, we can be quite intuitive and like think of things quickly. Um, I think it's also an ongoing process as to understanding the technology and the kind of equipment and the kind of configurations to ensure that kind of the vlog comes out better. So and I think it's a working process as well. So overall, I think it's been it's been good. I think in terms of the content and the depth of discussion, it's a never ending pool that we can tap into. But I think overall we've had a good, we could have kind of ex high maybe high level, but a good intro into some of the issues that affect people within our age range age range um so yeah what about you what are your thoughts What's yeah i your... agree i think i think content's been really good yeah i want to practice my public speaking a bit more I yeah think, i think there's a bit i can work up on there like fixing the ums and the ahs yeah elocuting properly um, yeah what else not saying um there we go that's the first well, that's one. one of the things we've mentioned that last week right the kind of the fillers and the uh you know as you said like ums and ahs and also, yes, I get you, mm, which is, you know, we I do, everyone does. All the fillers. All the fillers, yeah. Although some, maybe, so we mentioned this last week as well, you know, how like, oh, we, last time, Joe, how Joe Rogan adds his fillers, but with dramatic effect, but that's Joe Rogan. Like, he's which, which sort of fillers does he so use? So he's like, you know, yeah, true, yeah, yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah, and like just emphasis. That gasp he does makes... Something so like average sounds so interesting and cool. That's he just has his way around things, but that's Joe Rogan. Like he's got his own style, he's got his own way. Uh, it's interesting. Like Joe Rogan's also a commentator. Like he does sports commentary yeah. and like, MMA and sports. You know, he used to do. As you, I think you know this, but he used to do. He used to be a presenter for one of the big US TV shows back in the past as well. Yeah. So he's got like a long leg, you know, legacy and, and this type of thing. Yeah, stand-up well. comedian as well. So yeah. So it's interesting that all of that fits into the same realm of public speaking. Absolutely. It's interesting how you can, in life generally, you can do all these disparate things and they come back later, like all our plans, all these threads to come back later. Absolutely. Like I've had things that people have mentioned or told me in like a job interview and I've had maybe like five minutes of back and forth on the subject with them in that interview and I thought, okay, that was new, that was different. And then later it's come back to me, oh, maybe I can use that thing that I heard that one time. Yeah. And so... And you're like, that's a really strange place that I, you know, the inception of that idea. Yeah. But it's very interesting how things come back, come full circle. Absolutely. Yeah. It, interesting you said that as well. I mean, um, about doing, you know, so, so public speaking uh, as a skill. Traditionally, maybe growing up, we thought public speaking was just standing up, giving a lecture or being a politician or being a campaigner or being an activist or being a, you know, a religious figure or whatever. But now, often the public speaking element of podcasting or influencing is often under the table. No one really discusses it as much. But when you really, really think about it, these are the public speakers of our time. We are kind of, the platform we have on on, on this or on anything else, 
will probably have the widest audience that would be possible. I mean, if you were to say, can we get 100 people to gather around in this park so we can talk about an issue, you wouldn't get that as easily these days. But you put a, you know, something on YouTube that has a, you know, reasonably interesting topic, the algorithms or whatever will help you, you will get a bigger audience. That's so crazy, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just the way the world's changed. I mean, since growing up. You know. so, yeah, it's crazy to think like if we did like a big event at Oxford, like there was that um, experiencing Islam event. Yeah, what yeah. was the big one when Hamza Yusuf was? Oh, like, rethinking Islamic. rethinking Islam yeah. Yeah. reform. Yeah, RIR rethinking Islamic reform. So that's twenty ten, wow. right? Long oh. time ago, thirteen years. Yeah. Wow. Not just Islamic reform, rethinking Islamic reform. That's uh, steep. Maybe I need to rewatch that one. Yeah. That's still on YouTube. I wonder how many views it has. But even that, I mean, how many people saw it in, in person? It was big. So yeah. Probably, yeah. A thousand? A thousand. Probably, probably not. It, was, it wasn't that Probably big. less, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you put a video on YouTube, like an Islamic video with a good speaker, a thousand views, that's nothing. Nothing. 10,000 views. Absolutely. So it's interesting to think, taking it completely the other way, think of someone. It always comes back to Joe Rogan, the podcasting king. Or we can take someone else, Omar Suleiman, for example. He makes videos in a studio. Maybe he has five, ten people with him in the studio. You know, say Max, he has a crew of 50. Completely unlikely. But that then goes out to millions. Millions. So he's addressing maybe one or two people. But in trueness, he's addressing a million people. Absolutely. And also the access point changes. So I find one thing is, as soon as you are on a, a YouTube platform or an influencing platform, a social media platform, the access that a viewer has to you is different to someone who knows you in person. Um, you know, they say you never meet your heroes because they'll only disappoint you. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit like that. You become someone else entirely. So your message has a different shape because they don't know who you are personally. Whereas we were mentioning this kind of a few weeks ago where say you go to the Imam in a mosque, your relationship with him is more personal. Yeah. Um, it's often difficult to disconnect, but when, whereas when you're online or in a platform, whoever you are or whatever you're saying, it takes its own, you know, it has a different meaning or a different relationship with the viewer. Um, and so when they meet you in person later on, they also have a different impression of you. It's just, it's just very unusual, very interesting what, what just things being online can do. It's almost like a film, like not watching a film or whatever, you know, you, it's almost the whole... Uh, you know, watch an actor or whoever's on the film, you, you associate with a character differently yeah. to if you were watching a theatre, where you associate more with them as a human being. That's so true, actually. I've never thought of that. Like when you see a famous actor in theatre, I've, I've seen David Tennant in theatre, for example, and I've seen him on TV, I think that's Doctor Who. Yeah. He is the Doctor. Yeah. He's flying around in his TARDIS. Yeah. But when I've seen him in theatre, I'm like, oh, that's David Tennant yeah. performing as Macbeth. Absolutely. You actually have a much more realistic view of it. It's really and you see his imperfections a bit more. And what I mean imperfections yeah. is that kind of, you see him getting a bit tired. You see the kind of the, the exhaustion that acting can take out of you or public speaking can take out of you. Yeah. You know, the idea of like in theatre, you see people look like it's not all perfect. Yeah. And you, you feel like they could make a mistake. Yeah. And you feel empathy, like tense for them. You're like, oh, you know, like you don't want to eat your popcorn too loudly. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, what if I throw him off? Obviously, he's like, Absolutely. exceptional professional that's not Absolutely. going to happen but you know someone could sneeze or their phone could go off and it, you know, it disrupts the performance whereas when you're looking at TV you know this has been shot reshot edited cut yeah. uh, you know visual effects have been applied you know it's going to be crisp this is the, the vision they were going for whereas in theatre you're like you know they're here we want them to do their best job absolutely and it's just kind of it's going to draw from that 
right now, even on YouTube, there's a bit of a middle or online. There's a bit of a middle ground where you have people who, on one hand, want to have the film style perfection, but now they're trying to. I think we were discussing this, bringing some of that unscripted imperfections as well. So kind of even the social media space has now kind of tries to combine that theatre imperfection with the film style perfection, and has that middle ground now where you have like scripted or unscripted, uncut. Undeleted or deleted scenes only. Yeah, yeah, you know the gaffes only. You know that kind of. Yeah, it's interesting. And sometimes those are the fun bits to watch. They're the fun bits to watch. Yeah. Then you. It's interesting that content has not been reduced to just the fun bits at times. Yeah. Um, It's interesting what you're saying about the uh, the local imam versus the online imam. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, I had a really like touching uh, interaction with my local imam uh, yesterday. It was very tiny, but I just went to the mosque and. I mean, normally, what well, you see your people at work, you mm. see your family at home, or who else do you see? Mm. Like, that's kind of it. It's kind of a small circle nowadays when people don't really go out of the house too much. But, you know, I went to the, I went to the local mosque yesterday. The imam was there. He saw me, you know, nodded at me, smiled at me. And I just really feel really warm. Like, you know, there's someone else out there that's like, cares, it's nice. It kind of just gives you this nice feeling towards humanity. But actually, it's not just my family, my mm. colleagues. And then, you know, Everyone you hear about on the news that's trying to murder you. There's yeah. loads of nice people out there who just you can nod with, have a, like a little interaction with, say hello. Uh, so it's quite it's quite powerful, I think. Like you said, having that local imam who you know personally, you see all the time, uh, as opposed knowing to knowing he's doing his thing. You know, you could yeah. be going through your struggles or your work day, but you know he's there, and you'll always he's all no, no one's always going to be there, but you'll always see him at the same spot, same time, same prayer. You might be going off doing your, you might have had a bad day at work, under immense stress, but you know, five minutes away, he's there. Yeah. And you like, can see him, you can see him when he's tired, you can see him when he's relatable, you can, yeah. you can still ask yeah. all the questions you could ask of a big, a big shape or organisation, but it's more relatable, more yeah. real. And I think also, when you see like this sort of celebrity imams online, I, I don't really have anything against that, but they have a very polished feel and it seems almost seems too real mm. like wow it's a really amazing talk am i ever going to live up to that you know it's not you know that's it's such a high bar mm. whereas when you see your you know your local imam you see him yawning like a, and you go go to him it's very real mm. you see like oh he's just like a guy like me obviously a lot more learned but it feels kind of more tangible yeah um and i have actually met some of these celebrity shakes i met my Suleiman once um actually on hajj so i went up to him you went on hajj? you went to hajj i went on hajj in 2018 yeah and he was there, he was very, um, you know what he is. What's the one thing he's always doing? Always smiling, smiling and being can... just smooth and serene and at ease yeah. with himself and makes others feel at ease. You know, he's just that kind of guy. Yeah. Hoping he is that kind of guy. He is. Unless I, I, met him. Told me. Yeah. I met him. He's, he's also really tall, mashallah. Yeah. So you could, so we could see him through the crowd. Uh, so I went up, said hi. And um, yeah, it was really nice. But he was also... You could tell he was like quite tired. Like it had been a long day. It was the end of the day. He's with a big group, um, but he was still, I think, you know, up to up to the standard of that public persona. But I think it must be it must be tough being a, a celebrity shake. Where not that they've chosen celebrity, but just they're doing good work and it, it's gained fame. Is that a fair word? Yeah, yeah. It's gained fame, and then yeah. you're out there and Hajj, you must have so many people yeah. coming up to you. But that brings us to our topic today. We wanted to talk about Hajj as it's coming in the up. Industry. Yeah, and uh, 
as you've said, you've been to Hajj in 2018, so very fortunate. Would like to ask you, so nowadays we hear about the expense of Hajj and how expensive it is and is it affordable or not affordable? But at the same time, it's an obligation of five pillars of Islam. There's been issues in the pandemic where people haven't been able to go to Hajj because, you know, lockdown, the rules, the restrictions. Recently, there have been some more issues which we'll go into. But how do you feel Hajj was? I mean, in the sense of, it's almost very simplistic me saying this, but you must have spent a lot of money to go there. You've come back now. You know, was it worth it? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, because it's, I think it's something a lot of people, you know, save up their whole life and go when they're older, uh, which I think is a terrible idea um, for multiple reasons, which I'll expound on. Um, so to go young, yeah, it's like, why, why would you do that? It's like, a, basically, for me, it was like all my savings, really. Um, was it worth it? Uh, there's so many things to explain. Yeah, 100% it was worth it. I think it completely changed my understanding of reality. Mm. Uh, we went we went out there, you're sleeping on the floor, you're sleeping with 30 other people in a tent. Um, our package was very comfortable. Like we had air conditioning, we had good food. Uh, and I think you can spend as much as you want to get the most comfortable package you want. But Allah will still test you in other ways. Mm. Um, so that we had like, ice cream in our tent and then there was a big power cut. Like the generator got, I think, blew up. And then, no, not the ice cream. No. And everyone was losing their minds about the ice cream. I was like, I'm just gonna eat it before it melts, and I'm gonna go to bed. Like it's okay. It's getting hot. It was getting really hot. Um, that's fine. Just take a nap. And wake up. Have a shower. Uh, yeah, but you could see the test. And there were times when the heat was just too much for me. The crowds yeah. were so intense. Um, I remember we were in one time we were just in this huge crowd. We weren't moving for like an hour. There were these teenagers kind of just like pushing me from behind. I was like, I have nowhere to go. And this guy is pushing me. It was making me so angry. It was maybe like the most testing experience, I think, of the whole thing. Wow. Just with the heat bearing down on you, nowhere to go for an hour. You don't know if you'll be there for another hour. And then people are pushing up on you. But I think everyone gets tested in their own ways. But ultimately, despite all that, I mean, it's easy to highlight the bad, bad bits, but it was just very fulfilling. Like you're sat in this tent in the middle of the desert. You don't have your, I didn't have any signals. I didn't have my iPhone. You know, you're not on your laptop, you're not really, I was. I went alone, didn't go with my family. Um, oh, so you went alone? Wow. I went with a group uh, and I got to meet friends there. But yeah, you're not with your friends, you're not with your family, you're not with your, your home comforts. You haven't got any of this tech, you haven't got really any of the things you're used to. You're, and you're not even wearing full clothes, you just have uh, ikhram, so two stitched pieces of cloth, it's, you know, like two towels effectively. And that's when you realize like Allah provides. So I ended up bumping into a friend that I knew from before, and I was like, oh, "That's amazing! It's brilliant to have a familiar face." I never thought amongst that would the happen. millions and millions and millions, right? Yeah, and he had uh, I'll come back to it, but in terms of intentions, really interesting. He had no intention to come that year, but things ended up slotting into place, and he found himself there. And I was, you know, doing tawaf, and I hear this American accent, and I'm like, "That sounds like," and I turn around, and it was my friend. I was like, "That's crazy." Um, so I'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, Allah provides, so, you know, in the middle of the desert, we had this incredible food, the facilities, so yeah, I'm not normally someone that handles heat incredibly well, but you're like, you know what, this is, you know, quite bearable, you kind of learn to live with it. Uh, the other guys in my group turned out to be some really lovely people that were 
they saw that I was alone. They were really friendly, really familial, took me in. Was there any time where you felt, I want to come back to the UK, I want to go back home, and felt maybe guilty about it? For me, it was just, I was just... Or were you just, yeah. Yeah, in, 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 the, the, in the hudge, in the hudge moment. Wanted to be there, needed to finish it, and really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, you go on a nice package, it is a bit like a holiday with, you know, testing experiences. And my boss asked me when I was back, he's like, why do you go on these things? Like, why, you know, you've got holiday time. Why do you go on like pilgrimage or why will you go on like some sort of retreat? Why don't you just go to like the Bahamas or something? And I was like, oh, for me, that is a retreat. Like it's you know, restful for the soul. Mm. Um, you get to go to a nice sunny country. Like what else do you want from holiday? You know, free time, good sun and you know, be rejuvenated physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So it was really refreshing for me. And I think seeing that in, I don't want to say just austere conditions, but obviously not the same as when you're living in your fully furnished flat in London, in relatively austere conditions, actually, you have all the happiness, the contentment you need, and Allah provides for you everything. And one of the other brothers said something really profound, because there's not much to do there. You know, a lot of the there's, you know, three or four main days, a lot of the time you're sat in a tent, you either chat to the brothers, you read the Quran, you nap, maybe have a little snack. It's not, not that much. It's not like normally when you have a million chores, a lot of distractions, all these things to do. And so one of the brothers started like a little charity drive because when we would exit our little encampments we were with all the tents are grouped by nationality so we were with the Brits and the Americans you would see a lot of people just sat on the roadside who'd kind of travelled there for Hajj and they hadn't been able to get a tent and so they were just kind of sitting on the roadside kind of unhoused for the whole period and one of the brothers said well you know why don't we put some money together because you know our meals are already paid for. Let's put some money together and see. Let's go out. Let's get some get some food and start start trying to feed some people. And so he did that. It was really effective. Who did you feed? Just just oh, the literally, yeah. They literally Anyone? went around. They got a huge like box of chicken. Um, they went to one of the local shops. They got some burgers, like chips, drinks, everything. They just went around with the brothers and just started distributing. Um, it was really nice, like teamwork. Um, so was it people from? all over the world that were doing it or was it kind of from the UK so it was, camp? Yeah, it was our UK group which was about 30 of us and everyone kind of had their part to play. It was really funny. So one guy was kind of the instigator. He was the brains behind the organisation. Uh, one guy was more of the, the salesman. He, you know, good at talking, really friendly guy. He was kind of encouraging people and giving them the story. Uh, one of the brothers was like a young guy who worked in a shop and was really quick at counting cash. Yeah. And then one guy was the trusted one that we, we left the cash with him. So, but the guy that you left the cash with was not good at saying, giving the story. He was mm. like, oh, we're, we're giving cash to give to, you know, uh, people that, that need some food. You know, so everyone had their own part to play and it, it all came together in That's the end. That's amazing. And I remember when we got back, yeah. we had a little reunion. I think anyone who's been on Hajj will remember how tight everyone gets for three or four or five days yeah and they come back and they feel really like charged up and they have a reunion like a month later six months later uh, one year later and maybe 10 years later it kind of falls off quite oh, quickly but i think at the one year reunion one of the brothers was saying oh man we were there for three days but think about how much we did like how much quran i read in that time versus the year since i've been back we actually managed to put together loads of money and feed loads of loads of poor people like that's not something that we do we necessarily do over here um so it was it was a really interesting time and really fulfilling and when i came back i just realized walking through the city so you see all the glitz and the glam and you realize it's all i would say like 
Did you ever come down like a, oh, I don't want to be here? This kind of anti-materialistic, consumeristic depression, the post-Hajj depression almost. Uh, almost, yeah. I think my fir- the first thing I remember most clearly was just kind of, kind of laughing at it. Like you see someone driving by in a nice suit and a Ferrari. Yeah. And you think like... It's stark, right? In- instantly, when you, when you just come back from there and you come to the yeah. UK, I can imagine. But it's funny, it's like seeing, it's almost like seeing a toddler who has like a funny outfit and they think they're it. They're yeah. They're with their bee's knees and they think that's it, they've achieved life. And you see this guy in his Ferrari in his suit and you just think, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, that's good. I'm glad he's dressing well. I'm glad Allah's giving him a nice car and shopper. But the fact that he thinks that is wealth, that he thinks that that is winning, that is victory, and you realize how ridiculous that is, that you don't need any of that. It's about one's connection with Allah. Um, and I think afterwards, you know, it doesn't take long, maybe a few days, a few months before that feeling kind of subsides and I can remember it intellectually, but I don't walk around every day and see that anymore. Like now when I see a Ferrari, I'm like, well, that's a nice car. Yeah. So I'm kind of back, to, you can only go back to the old ways quite quickly, unfortunately. But I do think that lasting memory, having tasted that at like a relatively young age, was really powerful and has helped me kind of inform my decision because like now when I'm you know when I have an inkling towards luxury I still in the back of my mind I know it's a bit ridiculous I know it's not that important it's not something to to ponder on and waste time on that much I think also you talked about the whole process leading up to it so saving up for it uh, I think that's a really interesting process so for myself I think being young, you know, having a relatively good job I think for both of us and being able to save a fair bit each month because of living at home, I kind of did the calculations. I was like, okay, I want to buy, you know, I want to buy a new phone, a new laptop, and that's it, and, and then go for Hajj. So it's like, okay, let's just budget that. How many months is that going to take me? Okay, if, well, Hajj is obviously in a specific month. I was like, okay, let me push the phone back a few years and, you know, that, that will kind of give me an extra month I can save for Hajj. And so, yeah, just counting the pennies, saving up for Hajj. I think it was you know, easy for me. I was very privileged to be living at home, saving a lot on rent. I think also when it came down to it, I had saved up and I had paid the travel agent. And then, actually, that, that didn't happen in that order. After I'll go back to that. So I saved up and then I told my parents, look, I'm going for Hajj in a few weeks. They're like, oh, really? Um, so what, did you get a reaction? Like, you're young. A little oh, bit, yeah. yeah it was like, a little you're bit. Young Hajj now. So you're going to come back? And there's that is a stereotype. It's a lot of in, in a lot of I'd say traditional communities, more traditional communities. It's as you said, you go to Hajj when you're a bit older, and you come back, and then you live a more religious life. Right. Whereas when you're young and you go to Hajj and you come back, it's almost like you haven't lived your life yet. Mm. Well, there's this kind of. Whereas then you hear the other side where you're meant to go when you're young and physically able, and it's meant to give you a navigator for the rest of your life so you've been to Hajj, you come back and then you can carry on i've also heard this narrative which a lot of people i don't know if you heard this is i don't want to go to Hajj now because i know i'm still a sinner i get up to bad stuff i don't trust myself that i'll be able to stay off the the wrong path and if i go to Hajj and i come back it's going to be a waste of time because i'm going to carry on doing what i was doing so i don't want to go now i'll go later so I've heard that as well. Then I've also heard another narrative where they're saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. You go to Hajj, you come back. It doesn't mean you have to be born again and sinless and perfect for the rest of your life. No one can do that. 
But the aim is you have the intention, you try and whatever good you get from it, you let it inspire you to carry on, you know, doing what you want to do. And like, as you mentioned, that reminder you have in the back of your head now, maybe that is the thing you took from Hajj. Just that, you know, this Lamborghini, what's the point? Like, what is it? Just that voice could be what you gained as a result of Hajj, which if you didn't go, you wouldn't have that, perhaps. So I've heard so many mixed feelings about it. I've also heard like a lot of satirical comments like, you know, we talk about corrupt kind of politicians from back home. They go to Umrah or Hajj like that, you know, all the yeah. time and they take the photos and they put, you know, it, you know, it's what you make of it almost. So, mm. yeah. So, I mean, I'm going back to what you're saying, your parents' reactions about, hey, why are you going to Hajj now? So what were your... Yeah, what? I think there was a few reactions like that. Like, now you're so young. I think I'm a bit headstrong. Like, yeah. Especially if you know the reason you're doing something. Like for me, I knew, look, realistically, we don't know when you know how long we're gonna live like we know people you know friends of friends who have passed away like very young like in their 20s maybe from beforehand and if Allah's given you the provision for hajj and it's a farad upon you should you should you be you know taking the means to do that that's a big question we can come back to that but yeah so for me yeah a few people questioned it but i was quite confident that this is a farad upon me that's you know five pillars of islam i'm doing the others i kind of need to do this and if i have the the capacity, why should I not? Um, but we'll come back to the capacity aspect. I think in terms of being old and doing it then, when you're able to reset your sins, mm. I think I think that's that makes sense in some ways. Uh, you know, build up your sins and then just you know refresh at the end, so you can <laughs> have an easy few years before you cash out. But like logically, spiritually, it doesn't really add up. And yeah, sense that and you know the whole five before five, your youth before your old age. Exactly. And- you know, it's a religion of youth and energy and, you know, um, this whole, oh, I'm old now, I'm going to retire anyway. Yeah. And, you, know, uh, you know, I don't get up too much anymore. Oh, I'll go to Hajj now. And so I can just, I was going to go to the mosque anyway. So let me just go to Hajj now and yeah. just have a, so this kind of strategic thinking. Yeah. I, yeah. As you say, it doesn't really add up. Right? But yeah. Spiritually, it doesn't add up. How do you, why are you so arrogant to assume you're going to live that long? And I think also on a practical note, uh, having spoken to a lot of the people there who were a bit older, they said, how much has changed their view of reality and so many people of the uncles there said they wished wished, we we went earlier yeah they wish they said they'd done it in their 20s they wish they'd done it 30 years earlier um just so that it could have had that effect on them and informed the rest of their lives and how they're thinking okay you know there's so much i wish i could have changed or i want to do but i'm already towards the end of the journey i think also like you mentioned physically uh, like i found it tough at points i was probably in the in the prime of my youth there were uncles there with walking Prime of you. <laughs> there's walk- another thing we've got to think about as well, right? You know, being, it is physically demanding. You know, a transition from your third twenties to your thirties, and yeah. But yeah, so uh, as you there, said, there were uncles there with walking sticks, and I was like, I'm struggling in the heat doing all this walking myself. I was going to ask you as well on that point, physicality and also diet, good food. Do you feel, and this is just me being stereotypical, perhaps, but. When I think of Hajj, maybe it's just me, I'm more, you know, the whole Jedi warrior mindset where you're going to Hajj, you're eating roots and vegetables and simple food and water and, and you know, just toiling and feeling that pain. But then you get the picture of, I'm going to Hajj, yeah, mixed kebab, chips, <laughs> rice, wings, Pepsi, yep, got it in me, 4,000 calories, go for a nap, like... You know what I mean, yeah, like you're right, food coma, yeah. bloated. I don't know, like, I, for me, I just, 
just thinking about that just also I don't know I just feel like is it healthy like the way can you put on weight in hydro it's almost like counterintuitive yeah. almost it, weirdly it ties back to the um, kind of what you're saying about kind of politicians or all the politics within hydro there's, there's a whole lot of the logistics that are slightly strange and kind of wrong counter to the dean in many ways all the like profiteering a lot of scams even on hajj i think is the worst thing and hamza yusuf once said and i agree it's that he was referring to i think a text or something but hajj is a metaphor or a reflection of the condition of the wider umma at the time so all these things you mentioned the kind of the scammery and the and the you know the restlessness and the pushing and the mm. hustle and bustle and the chaos and but at the same time the elements of genuine unity and goodness and you know whatever resilience is literally a mini depiction of what the whole world is like or the whole muslim world is like so and you only see it yeah. when you go there you know the pushing the rest this whole the gold rush almost it's like oh i got to touch the black stone because that's my guarantee you know i mean i'm yeah. sure you tell me this going it's like oh we got to get crypto we got to get this we got to get that <laughs> financial freedom it's the same thing oh forgiveness from sins it's this kind of yeah. rush to it it's a very it's almost like a material way of, of looking at sins you think yeah. of it as a number Press that button. I want to reset that I, you know, I want to get more as opposed to like what is my actual connection yeah. with God what is my interaction with these other Muslims as I want to like you know, elbow someone in the yeah. face just to get there exactly and I think that also ties in with the food people are just kind of how much food can I eat how yeah. delicious is the mixed kebab and it's really hard to avoid because I know a lot of very conscious people that have gone out there trying to be healthy they're like I don't want all this greasy food that's going to make me sleepy and I'm going to struggle to to worship properly and it's just it's just unhealthy it's did not... you did you feel it yourself just the whole sleeping and the kind of eating and the I'm I'm assuming that there's lots of food and you're well fed or Yeah yeah there's a lot you know. maybe too much maybe yeah, yeah definitely and I tried to say you know what today I'm just going to focus on worship that lasted about an hour and then I got really hungry so I went luckily that by that time the queue had died down so I did win a little bit in that sense but it's just really hard because the food available there it's not like here where you can go to the shops choose your diet you're with your group you're with the the tour provider you're at the hotel and you kind of have the food that's on offer there and if you go outside the hotel you'll find maybe a McDonald's a KFC a Hardee's you're not finding like a nice you know a healthy supermarket you're not finding a whole foods where you can get your nuts and your grains and your roots and you know make something nice so it can be a bit challenging i think rice and kebabs is some of the healthier food you can have ironically out there oh, that's um, the thing, yeah i think it just comes to a uh, yeah, portion reduction then just you know, have the food but don't be glutton enjoy it yeah. be thankful but don't be gluttonous in it maybe i was a kid for then but i remember when i was going to umrah for the first time i was thinking i need to have a halal big mac yeah, that was yeah, yeah. that was a big thing for me i needed to know what a big mac tasted like so oh, yeah. that was one of my to-do lists when i went yeah. to umrah looking back now i'm thinking why like yeah. it's not even nice but yeah just Anyway, but, but I think I think you're right. I yeah. think it's interesting that for a kid that's great and that's quite funny and that's very cute. But then many adults will have the same thing. Yeah. It's like, well, that's kind of concerning. That like that's one of your primary concerns as someone in you know in the middle of their life. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You want to try mm. a Big Mac? I'd, you know, knock yourself out. I think it's a good thing. Is there a Rolex shop there as well? There has to be. Yeah, it has to be. And probably queues yeah. probably as long as. No, it's sad, but it's be as long as getting anywhere else. You know, yeah, get your Hadrolex. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah. 
Interesting, I was going to say, and this is one thing, going back to what you're mentioning about the reflections of the wider room at stake, and this is something which I've thought about a long time. Now, cost, we've talked about, it's really expensive. You mentioned it's quite comfortable as well. You get the good hotel, good food. And we all know this. So the UK, you mentioned the UK, US camps are two affluent nations, affluent nations and, you know, in, in, in relative comfort. You then compare it to a situation where someone from Bangladesh or the Philippines or another country, their camps or where they stay or their experience of Hajj is far more budget orientated than ours would be. And it's a reflection of the wider economic issue of, you know, disparity basically in the currency differences and so forth and the way they do their Hajj. Um, so I remember, I haven't been, but I remember dad. my dad went and he said that if you were to go in the Bangladesh camp, you'd mm. see like people are like, they don't have good food. The hotels is like are awful. They're staying in like a room where everyone's sleeping on the floor and there's like 50 of them. They have one bathroom. There's no, a lot of them stay like that. I mean, really kind of, you know, third world conditions to what they compared to, you know, what they used to some extent back home. So they get that in Hajj too. And that's what their money gets them. So if you were, for example, in Bangladesh, I think the Hajj prices, I think they've, raise it up now but you can go for like four or five grand or three four grand maybe maybe i'm wrong but just a ballpark figure right. compared to the uk where it might cost you 10 12 13 right. grand your money gets you what it gets you and you, it's almost like i feel a sense of i would feel a sense of guilt and a sort of sense yeah. of depression thinking that i'm here but there's another muslim there and they're in that situation yeah. but we're all doing the same thing not that i have to now go and voluntarily sleep in a yeah. another country's camp and just feel what they feel but I almost felt a bit of a like th in other words this is the Muslim world people who are privileged will enjoy even their Hajj better than yeah. people who are not privileged but we're in a position where we're all equal and we're all wearing the ihram and we're all brothers and we're all asking for the same forgiveness it's a good thing but it's also sad you know it's, it's just yeah. And I think I think luckily, you've seen it so more than I have. So yeah. you've uh, been there. And I think luckily our group was introspective enough to realize that. Realize that, right? Uh, yeah. I think some people can become can become arrogant and say, yeah. you know, well, you know, we earned this. Where you know, you know, look at these simple Muslims like in their camp. It can be it can be really bad. Like I did see like really quite disheartening like examples of kind of Muslims looking down on like, other Muslims as. You know, maybe they're rushing, maybe they're a bit more loud, you know, maybe they have a bit more brash attributes. And other Muslims go, oh, look at them, no, no character. Mm. And I, was, I thought that's really, really rude, because as well, like, okay, maybe someone's come from the US, they come from an affluent background, 10k, 15k for Hajj, that's, well, maybe yeah, I'll go this yeah, year, yeah. maybe I'll go next year. It's yeah. not, it's not tiny, but it's not a lifetime's worth of savings either. Whereas someone who's maybe coming from Bangladesh for five grand, maybe that is 20 years of savings. 20 years, selling their property, selling land, whatever, the assets, just, yeah. Yeah, and if you sold, if you put everything on the line to go for, I mean, the main acts of Hajj are about three, four days. Mm. So you've put all your life into four days, I'd be on edge. I'd, I'd want to get the most out of that. I'd, Absolutely. Yeah, so I think, I think it's unfair to look down on other people, like whatever they're doing, and just being aware of other people's culture. Like you see someone shouting, maybe that's not rude in their culture in Absolutely. the same way like you can't, I can't really judge so yeah like you said I think that's a reflection on the wider Ummah like people do have that sort of arrogance in some some compartments unfortunately uh, we were talking about I think the cost as well so I mean, for myself I managed to save up and then when I said I was going my parents were like 
you know, that's really lovely. I think we, we want to cover that cost for you. Mm. It was very, uh, very generous. So I was very privileged to be in that position. Wow. Um, yeah. But I think also, I think it's, uh, that was 2018. But I'd actually tried to save up for 2017. And I'd, I'd kind of, I'd been scrimping the numbers every month, you know, delaying the phone by a couple of months so I can save up for hard, you know, doing all the, doing all the calculations of what I need to do, how much I can save each month to, to actually get there. And it just, um, it just didn't work out. I don't know why. I think um, I'd ask them and maybe they weren't taking bookings from the UK because there was a group in the US I wanted to go with and something happened and it just fell through. In 2017, it didn't happen. And then after that, I kind of lost, to be honest, I lost interest a little bit. Like theologically, I still thought, you know, this is a fudge for me. I'll go when I can. I should save up if Allah's given me the means. Why am I going to spend that on a new MacBook when that's not fudge upon me to have a new MacBook? It is far as upon me to go for Hajj, and he's given me the means to that. I don't know when I'm going to pass away. I should do it. So that's fascinating. You drew that line, and 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 we'll come to this later. We're just going to drop this, drop drop a few seeds. The idea of it's far if you can afford it, and that's where the grey area is. Mm. They're going to, oh, I can't afford it because I want to save up to buy a house. Yeah. And we'll and you know oh, I'm getting married, or <laughs> I've got to buy that ring for that special whoever she's going to be and that's going to cost 20 grand so <laughs> i can't afford it right now and you know marriage is also you know yeah. so we'll, we'll come to that in a bit but yeah but carry on yeah now. no exactly yeah that's a really interesting point uh, looking forward to hearing what your thoughts on that yeah. so then for me okay i've done everything and then the next year 2018 came around i kind of lost that you know that zeal you know when you're when you're excited about it you're saving for it you're, you're kind of looking forward to it yeah and it was kind of a bit more in the back of my mind at yeah. this point. It was a bit bad. Uh, but I went to, uh, you know, I ran into the Dar es Salaam guys, a really good uh, trip organizer, and they had set up a UK office. Wow. And I said, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I do want to go for Hajj. Uh, put me on your waiting list. Uh, put me on your list. And Did you find it easy to get onto the waiting list? Was it kind of fully subscribed, packed out? Yeah, I think so. I was like, oh, do you have any spots this year? They're like, no, it's sold out. And yeah. then I was like, okay, uh, you know, just take, take my details. Anyway, I'll be in touch. We'll see. It's one of those things you put on your to-do list and you kind of, it's embarrassing to say, I didn't really want to do it. So I was like, oh, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next week. And something always takes priority. And then they ended up calling me mm. and saying, like, literally, like, maybe six months later, and saying, I was at work, I remember, I just had to step out to take the call. And I remember them saying, yeah, a spot's opened up on our wait list. And I was like, which wait list? Who is this? Who's calling me? And they were like, wow. oh, this is Dar es Salaam, the wait list for Hajj? I was like, really? I completely forgot. I'd signed up. You know, it's just something I thought I mentioned. Like, they asked, do you, do you want us to take your name? And I said, oh, okay. And they said, yeah, we're leaving in, you know, I think a month. If, if you know, there's a, f a spot free, are you by yourself? Do you have anyone else you're coming with? It'll be this much. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and I was, I just started a new job. I was getting into the swing of things. I was quite comfortable. I was enjoying life in London. I was like, do I want to drop that much to go on Hodge now? So like, this, really. the kind of the zeal had subsided by yeah. then, right? So that's another test in and of yeah. itself, right? So it comes to you when you don't really want it. Yeah, exactly. But when you wanted it, it wasn't there. So that exactly. is the test. The, the invite is from Allah. Like you can save as much as you want. You can plan as much as you want. So many people plan to go in 2020. They're like, I'll go next year. I'll go in 2020. That's a good year to go. COVID. No one went in 2020. You know, yeah. what are you to do? And the year after, I think. Well, yeah. But you can't say to the travel agent, like, oh, I'm not feeling it this year. So I said... Yeah, okay, <laughs> put me down. And then I wasn't quite dragging my feet, but I was like, okay, I'll just say yes, and I've got, I've got the funds, and we'll see, see where it goes. And got so my that engine. voice in your head, 
what pushed you to say, yeah, I'm going to do it? I don't think there was a voice that said, yes, I'm going to do it. The voice was more like, well, I should do it. And therefore I'll, I'll try. Yeah. It, I wasn't particularly excited and it didn't even feel real because, you know, you plan for something, you're excited for it. This was like so out of the blue. I had other plans that year. And I was like, okay, it wasn't until we, I think, landed and we were in Ihram and we were like at the Kaaba when I was like, Did oh, you fly, did you happening. land in Medina airport? Did you land in Jeddah? Was it Jordan or how did you come I of... think we landed in Jeddah. Yeah. And so you had to do Ihram like on the plane and then we landed. And we did did you take Saudi Airlines by any chance? Or uh, I think it might have been. I can't, I can't remember entirely. Did they have prayer spaces on the plane or something? Yeah, yeah they yeah, had yeah. a prayer, they have a prayer yeah, space yeah. at the back of the plane. That's pretty cool. Fascinating, yeah. That itself is an experience actually, to be honest, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, alhamdulillah, it works out, it worked out when we were invited and when the actual Hajj began, there were a lot of people that had done it before, because obviously if you're going when a lot of guys might have done it when they're young and they're going when they're older, either with their, their kids or their parents or their spouses. And I think everyone who had been before said, you know, it was a lot harder before. Like we walked a lot of places, we didn't have the AC, we didn't have the ice cream. And the started to become this concern among us, like, is this even Hajj? Like, you know, you've got, you've got your ice cream here, you've got your sofa. Mm, that's is what it, we were mentioning that earlier. Yeah. yeah, is this too comfortable? Yeah. And we haven't seen it, but we know we have our brothers and sisters in the next camp who don't have half of this. They yeah, yeah. there you are. Exactly. This. Yeah. Uh, so I'm grateful I was with a good people group Who are of conscious people of that because people are not conscious. This is a funny thing because a lot of people come back and they, it's almost like they're boasting about the luxury they have. Yeah. I've heard this, like, yeah. yeah, our camp, you know, we had the UK yeah. camp. So we had this, we had that, we had that. Oh, we got that meal. Oh, yeah, but that tour provider gave us X and Y. And people even complain. They're like, the biryani was late on the third day. What is this? Uh, it's Exactly. It's just... It gets out of hand. It yeah, gets really it's a, distasteful. I think. You know, it's like a... Hajj gives you a bragging right almost, you know, over, over, over the perks you had almost. I mean, I find that amongst a lot of people who... Yeah. But yeah, so you said... My group was really good. Like, very grateful, but also, I think, conscious and... You don't want guilt to be overwhelming, but they had that sort of balance where like, this is amazing, but is it right that we're enjoying all of this? Yeah. When, um, yeah, when we know other people are not, like, why are we living this luxury? Hajj is not meant to be your five-star hotel experience. Why, why is this happening for us? And I think the, the teachers we were with uh, from the US, from Cullum Institute, they were really good and they, they kind of knew this and they, they laid it out for us and they said, look, you guys are only here because you can afford it because you earn well and I think the fact that you've chosen to invest your money in Hajj is an act of worship in itself and we're giving you these these luxuries not because we want you to have the biryani experience but because if you're well fed if you're comfortable in your sleeping arrangements you're going to have more energy to do your acts of worship properly so focus on what's important and everything else is a way of enabling that mm. and so they, they kind of laid it out nicely and I think one of the brothers mirrored one of their points quite well and that he said the year before him and his wife had been on like a, a really expensive tour of Southeast Asia. They'd gone to Vietnam, Thailand, they'd taken like a month out of work. They'd gone on this expensive trip around the world. And then he he said like, well, you know, if we go on holiday, we're going to a beach resort, we're going to spend all that money. Why are we not going to do the same for Allah's house? Why are we going to skimp? That's the one we're going to be cheap about. So he said, he had for him he had to do it he had to do the good package and try and get the you know the good the good tour and so i think that combination was nice that you know allah's blessed you with this wealth uh you choose where to invest it the fact that you've sacrificed it for his sake is good 
but be grateful, be conscious, and bear in mind the aim why you're here. Absolutely, that kind of, and that draws onto a kind of a kind of a topical issue: expensive honeymoons. Yeah, you know, it's almost like yeah, we've got to drop X on to go to this place after you get married. You know, we talk about weddings, lavish weddings, expensive iPhones, fancy cars. Should we put a number on these? I don't know. Is that distasteful? We can have a ballpark. Yeah, let's go for a ballpark. Let's, let's, let's get some numbers out. So yeah, because yeah, that's that's what you're really listening <laughs> to. Right? So, well, I mean, these numbers change, right? So that's, yeah. the other, that's one reason I said you shouldn't put off Hajj either. Like, I know people that said, you know, we all planned to go in 2017, like myself, a friend, and my American friend, actually, he as well didn't plan to go in 2018. We both wanted to go in 2017. Somehow, you're, you're trying to send the email, you're trying to get in touch with a travel agent, it doesn't work out. The next year, they're getting in touch with you. You're not even ready to go, and next thing you know, your flight's next week, and yeah. it works out. A lot invites you, and he invites you. Wow. But um, yeah, so back then it was about yeah. So I think, how much packages? So I think now, anything between, I think you're looking. You'd be you know, ten k is the cheapest, really, and it goes up to fourteen, fifteen, probably twenty k. Honestly, that's as a ballpark figure. This is now in twenty twenty three. Okay, I knew some friends that went in around two thousand. Maybe 2008, maybe 2010, I can't quite remember. For them, it was like top end. They were, the eye-watering price was six grand. Oh, and yeah. that was unthinkable back then. Now that's doesn't even Six get grand, you. seven grand, I've heard that as a standard figure throughout 2000, the 2010s, yeah. mid-2010s till, you know, that's roughly what it was. Even then, when I was thinking about it, I thought, oh, that's steep. Ooh, I used to think five grand was steep. Yeah, and I was double that. That people would, you, you know, Five grand is nothing now for someone to go to Hajj. Honestly, it's, yeah. people would pay five grand. I hear you. Because back then, they're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. They might be earning the same amount, if not more. But even then, five yeah. grand was seen as too much. I remember and on that point, uh, around, I think, the early 2000s to the mid-2000s, you could go for about two, three grand as well. Mm. Um, and this ties into another point as well, which I'll probably, we can touch upon. And you, you and I, well, I think, I've been once, and I think I went before the clock tower was okay. created. But the point being is, the modernization and renovation, you know, renovation of the whole renovation of the whole area, that has bumped up everything. Right. So the idea of Hajj, I mean, you could get more of that rustic, authentic mm. Hajj experience with a more rundown hotels, the kind mm. of you know, the kind of austere, frugal living. You could have got that in the early 2000s, the 90, well, obviously the 90s, the 80s. Nowadays, as a result of the whole clock tower, the whole fancy hotels, it's all become more towards a five-star range yeah. or the kind of whatever, the yeah. kind of luxury range. So that cut-off point as well, you know, this whole criticism of the clock tower and overwhelming the Karam and that also has kind of the whole area you know, and, and the kind of modernization expansion of the area has also impacted the quality and the experiences we have for Hajj, as all of the prices. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, I remember going in 2009, uh, the Misfala area, which is now no longer there. So that was more like, it was like an old school Makkah street with yeah. old school There's restaurants. Nothing and old school now. No, it's all, it, it's, it's the clock down, the shopping centers. The and everything. Yeah, Second built. Hilton. Second Hilton, it's all underground. They've completely made that into like a city, a Dubai, a mini Dubai. I, I've, I've used that phrase kind of quite casually. It's become almost like, when I mean mini Dubai, obviously not Dubai, but the whole, mm. you know, the whole, you know, slickness and the glamour and the pizzazz. 
Um, and that also impacts on everything, actually, the cost. I mean, nowadays, I mean, ten, I mean, not 10 grand, 12 grand. You're seeing things like Hajj Finance as a, as a product now, oh, right. nice. which is something I haven't looked into much, but it's something which I remember when I was growing up, it's like, never go to Hajj when you're in debt. I've, or or oh, if yeah. you've got debt, you know, you're not meant to go to Hajj indebted. Because it's not, it's not obligatory upon you unless you have, you have the means. I have the means, right? So, but, and but it, what does that mean? What does that mean, right? What is means? And then the idea of, you know, uh, if, if, if you should go to Hajj with your own finances, you know, so unless, you know, in a position of dependency, such as your child or your parents or a wife to a husband, generally you should pay with your own pocket, you know, and then go to Hajj because that's you earning and you giving as opposed to getting money from other people and going to Hajj. I'm not saying you can't, but it's seen as better to, you know, pay yeah. with your own funds. But nowadays, I think the psychology has changed now where people are like, some people are thinking, it's so expensive, I'm just not going to go. I've actually seen that amongst people saying, yeah, yeah you know, we'll go later. But then they spend that money on the honeymoon. Yeah, because I think it's fair. Like if you're if you're you know a young couple, like I was living at home. But if you're if you're married, you're moving out. You're paying rent in London. Yeah, the cost of living crisis is is real. Like groceries are going up. You're trying to pay for your car, pay for your travel. How are you going to save up ten k? Well, there's two of you. How are you going to save up twenty twenty five k for four days, four day holiday? And 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 remember, but, and and but you'd think, and tell me if it, if you disagree. It's this: we've got to save that money for a house deposit or a mortgage what, or do you, what do you think of that i it i don't know that one's a, that that's a tough, a tough one, one right and i can't sp- i think i i see it you know like um because you we were talking about about you know owning a nice house raising a family giving mm. yourself and your family the dignity and the you know yeah. position in life i do see that as a valid argument nowadays because of how expensive and unsustainable everything is so they're yeah. saving up for a deposit to buy a house I, I i respect that but at the same time often you find the people who say that aren't disciplined in other areas right. so yeah for example if yeah i think if you're saving to you know house providing providing for your family that's noble i can't i can't really say that uh, what's going on there if you should yeah. prioritize hard or not i think that's yeah. quite a personal personal choice but, but then you're like eating out every night you're doing yeah. this i'm saving up to buy a house so i can't do it but you're flashing the cash 100 on an iphone iphone year, yeah 2k on a holiday twice a year yeah new macbook new tv car cars coming in do you need that big bentley you know big mercedes let's say yeah um and then the oh but i need to save up to buy a house i need to go on the property ladder everything's so expensive but then you know the whole idea of the, we have the inflated lifestyles that come with it but i think that is also a spiritual issue as well you know the very fact that we're you know throwing money left right center because of the position that certain professions allow you or jobs or incomes allow you to do but at the same time putting off hajj because it's not value for money perhaps but what you're expecting i think there's something questionable about that as well I'm not going to judge anyone because everyone's got their own circumstances and, and and so forth. But I do think I find that question, you know, I find that a bit of an issue. And this ties back to the whole, you know, other, th- you know, big, you know, when we think big, big things to do in life, if we were to ask people across the world or maybe from more traditional cultures, they say Hajj is one of their to-do lists. Yeah. If you were to ask the average Joe, Muslim Joe, Muslim it, yeah. it's not a big thing for them. It's the house. The it's the house, is, yeah. the marriage. The whip, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, the, the the yard, yeah, and I think that's a good point. Status, you know, it's a big thing I found, you know, just having a fancy job or a business or something that gives you a, a leg in society, yeah. feeling important, empowered. Um, that's true. I think, I think a lot of that as well 
is within the community. Like I was never thinking about buying the house until you know everyone else was, or there was family pressure. Like, why don't you start to do this? Why don't you start to do that? And then it became like on my radar. Then it kind of became something in my mind. Uh, and I think the company you surround yourself with is really important. Like I had a friend. Uh, I just remembered actually. I think his hudge story is probably what spurred me to mm. want to go at a relatively young age. Yeah, he was similar. He was young. He wasn't married. Uh, he was in a similar situation. He's like, well, I don't, you know, it's not followed upon you to get married. Well, it's a whole different point. It's half your thing. It's obviously important. But you don't know when that's going to happen. You yeah. don't know how long you're going to live. Because you've got the funds, you've got the means. You, you should go for Hajj if you can. And so he said that, yeah, it's expensive. But and this was quite a few years ago. So he said that it was five grand. So I think it was about five grand for him. And he said, Peanuts nowadays. Yeah. And he said, you know, obviously, that's a lot. It's big. That's still big. What else are you ever going to buy that's five grand apart from? Probably I count on one hand the number of things that are going to be Absolutely. in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, you know, house, car. What that's it. are you going to buy a TV for that much? Probably not. Oh, another one. I should have said this. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's another kind of uh, buzzword that the algorithm will pick up. It's dowry. dowry. That's another one. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to drop. When I'm not opening that. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Because uh, uh, yeah. so we haven't even begun yet. We'll get cancelled. Well, I think weddings yeah, are the whole. True. Weddings yeah, weddings as a whole. Are yeah. Gonna be, are yeah. Gonna be which is a massive. Muslim millennial global historical human issue, yeah. right? Of course, just getting married and yeah. the idea of having your wife and spend, you know spending yeah. money on that. And, stuff. and you want to get married and you want to celebrate it and you yeah. want it to be special. Do people go too far? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he said, you know what? It's five k. That's a huge amount to spend on a holiday for one person. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's fair. Yeah. It's fair that it's crazy. But he's told me he's like people will say that, but then for five, six, seven years they'll go on a, a holiday every year for one grand. And it'll add up more. Yeah. And it's like, you could have just, you know, not, not even cancel your holiday. Have a smaller holiday. Have a simpler holiday. Do something else. And at the end of it, you know, save up for Hajj. And then you can do your, your fancy holiday every year. You've done your Fadr. You've done your Hajj. Um, and when we think of, uh, this is one thing I've heard. Have you heard of this? And I'm sure you heard of this. But often when we try to rationalize expensive purchases, we try and find, we scrape the barrel. We try and find every way of, you've heard of cost per wear cost per use, yeah, yeah. investment piece, that Rolex, you know, if I divide about the times, I bear it. So it's only a pound a day. Exactly. So that's, yeah, it's, that it's worth it, yeah. Really? And that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> a lot of um, ladies do this to justify buying expensive handbags or whatever, you know. Oh, yeah, you use it every day. Use it every it's day instead of the kind of the cheap one from Marks and Spencer's or whatever, mm-hmm. which cost me 60 pounds. I need to buy a new one. But, yeah. So I have to spend 10 grand on that Chanel or whatever it was. But yeah, so going back to Hajj, the, the idea of Hajj being cost per wear you know for what it's a you know, one off if it's a one off yeah. for the rest of your life how many let's assume you live for a long you're young so statistically I know it's in the last hands but you know statistically you have a long time to live it's not that expensive if we think of it that way as you said right and I think it's one of those spiritual things where it almost defies material reality yeah and I think it's something a lot of people mentioned when we we're out there it was just very hard to quantify mm. you know it's very hard to put a dollar price on it but if your mindset is completely changed for the rest of your life it's something you wish you'd done 40 years earlier can you put a dollar amount on that absolutely maybe you could maybe, maybe you could quantify could. cost of living but i think even that the whole point is that something spiritual your connection with god it transcends that it transcends having a dollar amount what do you think i feel like i've spoken a lot no 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 no, no. Honestly, i'm actually fascinated and this is one thing i was going to add to that and i think with Hajj, I think what one thing, and I think that we need to look at is, I think a lot of our generation are very politically conscious or economically conscious, and that has two levels. So the first level is, 
ultimately, Hajj is a product of the inflation of our time, right? So it's expensive, so is everything, fine. But there's been a lot of manufactured inflation by arguably countries which have, you know, created expensive hotels and made all these five-star resorts, which is fed into the price. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling or self-induced price. So it says, Hajj is 10 grand. Yeah, I know cost of living, everything's gone up, but at the same time, you made, you know, luxury skyscrapers all of the all of the area and food everything you made mcdonald's you made rolex you know you made this so that's why it's expensive as well so we're almost participating in that kind of inflation as well so so that's that thing then the other thing is people are saying oh i don't want to go to a and i've heard this it's not spiritual to go to a hajj which is organized by consumeristic you know yeah. nations and yeah. certain countries which we politically disagree with yeah. so mm, I'll take a stance and I'll boycott the Hajj until a bet I've heard yeah. that yeah, from I've people it, yeah. and I, said, I don't want to go to Hajj that's sponsored by X country or Y country and their ideology so I've heard that I've heard others who are saying that is it really spiritual and and, and, and I'll explain and, and, and they and they cling on to a kind of a, a nostalgic maybe utopian notion of Hajj being an ancient ritual, the time of Ibrahim, the time of the Khilafah, the time of that period where, you know, what we were mentioning a long time ago, you know, you leave your village in somewhere in Zanzibar and you never come back yeah. probably and you're going and you're not, with your, with your like, like Don Quixote and you end up in Hajj and you meet people and you, you know, you whatever. And then, so, and you never come back. So, whereas now, oh, we get on our five-star flight to whatever, or first-class flight, sorry, to come. So there's so many layers to this. And, the, and on that one, as I was thinking, like, Hajj is also very much a manufactured thing, and I and I'm not saying this in a very in a rationalistic way. So, it's and I always say this: it's like when you go to the mosque and as a visitor, you have one level of experience. Imagine you're the caretaker, or you're behind the lighting, or you're behind the like, you know, the organization of it. Imagine you're a Hajj organizer, right? This time the pilgrims go through Arafat. Tick, right? Have you got the numbers in there? Yep, walk it all. Yep, I think we can see a you know okay. five fifty thousand. It's a very normal thing for the people doing it, but the people in it yeah. are seeing it as a spiritual, overwhelming life experience, okay. changing thing. But the people organizing it, managing it, crowd control, the people, that, that kind of the Saudi authorities or whatever, organizing pe- the logistics. It's almost like it's people who have, and I'm not saying this in a very, you know, I'm not saying this in a blasphemous way, so please don't take me the wrong way. It's almost like it's a human endeavor that we, uh, that the pilgrims are taking part in but it's almost like you i don't know you probably saw some guy in a waistcoat just standing there yeah just watching and the people are like oh oh in tears and being all, and he's just standing there like yep yep he's yeah he's yeah it's just almost like there's so many layers that people have now and they've all and i mean that i think what's happening now is i'm sensing a disillusionment with hajj amongst some people because of the price and they're now looking at other layers and other areas to criticize but on the other side, you have people who are so simple and in a good way who want to go to Hajj because it's an obligation, it's the five pillars, it's one of those things, irrespective of whatever yeah. government or authority is in charge, I want to take part in it. Yeah. I don't know, it's just... I think, I think that's a really good note to, to end on. I think there's yeah. a, lot, a lot going on there. And I think, like you said, Hajj is just a reflection of the wider Ummah. Absolutely. Know? And it was, always, it was always the case, probably. Yeah. I mean, do you remember the message? And one thing I was going to suggest is we're in the beginning and it's almost like an antithetical way of looking at it where do you remember when in the beginning of the message you had all the pilgrims giving gifts to the idols of the Kaaba okay. and then I think I think as Abu Jahl says 
you know, oh, the pilgrims, they're good for our business, you know, you know, when they give <laughs> gifts to the idols, good for our money. And I'm not obviously, but the idea is that even, even in the Hajj, these issues of economy and wealth yeah. and intercept. So you a, never will get a perfect Hajj. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way of, of looking at it. It's uh, speaks to the wider Ummah and what we're going through and that a lot of our spiritual aspects of the deen, a lot of what should be about connecting to Allah has yeah. become ritual, yeah. has become, like you said, tick box exercise, has become about the external show. Yeah. Okay, is everyone in the right place at the right time? Yeah. And yeah, I just, I think that is a problem, but that's a problem with the authorities that are running it. That's for them to rectify. I think for us as individuals on the ground that are going, we can still navigate that and have a genuine spiritual experience. And mm. I think ultimately, yeah, I think it's fair to criticize uh, the authorities, to criticize the logistics, but not prohibitively so. No, just I agree. Because, just because it's badly run doesn't mean that it stops being a fard. And I think on top of that, like, is it badly run? People criticize a lot, but, you know, there have been stampedes in the past. If you think of how many millions of people go and how many stampedes are there, like how many people actually, actually die in that, I think in many ways it is well run. Could it be better run? I think potentially, but... Yeah, I think Allah protects people when they go. Allah invites people and provides for them while they're there. And I think, and and that's and that's fascinating as well. I mean, just add to, to add to the idea of Hajj being a meeting of minds, and you know how you mentioned you met people. And I'm not go, I'm not saying oh you go to Hajj and network and you, okay I'll add you on LinkedIn and yeah we can talk about business and our startups and yeah well let's do. But there is that element as well. You're meeting people and maybe hundred and two hundred years ago. I don't know, but maybe Hajj was an opportunity for the most important Muslims on earth yeah. to find one place where they could meet and discuss the issues of the day. You know, we talk, talk about scholars from all over the world, from India, from Arabia, yeah. from Africa, luminaries, or maybe that was the place that they all met at one point. Like, you know, we talk about ulama conferences and fancy yeah. places in Doha or Qatar or Istanbul where they meet and they discuss, or, you know. Maybe the Hajj was that, and maybe it's a good thing. You know, this idea of a, a place of discussing what are the issues facing the Umrah? How can mm. we resolve it? Maybe that was also a message of Hajj. You know, the idea of, um, yeah. you know, they will come from every part of the earth and congregate and worship and do all the rituals. But it's also alongside the spiritual and the physical, it's also an intellectual thing as well. Um, yeah. yeah. 